Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, production of iHeartRadio. It is time for another Feminist Movie Friday, the first of 2021. Yeah. Yes. And we're starting it with one of my absolute (laughs) favorite movies of all time, the 1999 classic, The Mummy. The Mummy. And by Samantha's insistence, (laughs) The Mummy 2. I feel like it has to be there. Uh, According to you, you were very, very passionate about it. Yes. (laughs) And The Mummy was a listener suggestion. So thank you, Kayla. I always love when listeners suggest something that I love anyway. So it's like I get to just rewatch something that I already really enjoy. (laughs) And she sent us a link to a blog post by Lena in a Red Dress that was really helpful in all of this. Um, Made a lot of great points about the uh, kind of feminist take on this movie. We'll be getting into that later. Also, I recently-ish watched this with coworker and friend Lauren Vogelbaum and we kept saying how much Rachel Weisz's character still holds up. We kept being like, whoa, look at that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like unlike a lot of the movies or TV that we watched from 20 years ago, 20 yeah. years ago. I know. It doesn't hold up and you kind of squirm and have to accept yeah. that it was made back when, even though it shouldn't have been made back when. And this one it doesn't right. do that as much. So you're like, okay, we're cool. We're yeah. cool. Although the it's second one, refreshing. a little less. It holds up a little less. We'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I absolutely adore The Mummy. I It's one of six movies that I can quote the whole way through. The Egyptian and all, which I, I have no idea if that's actually Egyptian, but I can say it similarly to how they say it in okay. the movie. And I remember I had to campaign really hard to see this movie in theaters with my dad. Because he was like, I think it might scare you. I I don't know. I I was at the age where still my parents would go with me to PG-13 movies. And I I just, I worked so hard to convince him. And then I was trying really, really hard to hide how scared I was. (laughs) Because he was right. The Beatles, the, the scare of Beatles really scared me. And I think I had a crush on pretty much half the people in this movie at one point in time. And I love the ride at Universal. Yeah. It is so fun. That is a good ride. I hope they don't take it down. Because it's funny. It's like about the making of the movie. Right. And I'm not sure how much like the younger generation gets it. <laughs> but it's right. a fun ride. And it's definitely old Brendan Fraser too. It's definitely way back when Brendan Fraser. Right. Because when you see him today, it looks a little different. Has gone through mm-hmm. a lot of stuff, unfortunately, yeah, poor dude. Yeah. And it's trying to come out of it on the other side, but it's definitely taking him a minute. <laughs> I don't know how else to do this. So it was prime Brendan Fraser, I will say that. Although I will say he was one of my first crushes, not because of this movie, but because of movies like Encino Man and School Ties. Those two movies are the one things that made him for me. That's so great. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've never seen any of those, but I know the image like on the cover. So, Oh, yeah. So Encino <laughs> Man, my friend and I in high school, we memorized that movie. We know all of everything to do yeah. with that movie. We even got the soundtrack to that movie. Yeah, oh, we were wow. really into it. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know I've spoken before about my, my New Year's tradition on this show where I, I very specifically choose the last movie I want to end a year on and the first movie I want to start the new year on. 
And a couple of years ago, I was in South Africa for work over New Year's. And the last movie I saw was The New Mummy with Tom Cruise on the Mm. plane. Oh, no, it was not good. It was bad, 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 bad movie to go out on. So when I got home, the first movie I watched of the new year was the 1999 version to make up for it. never had a desire to see the Tom Cruise version because I was like, what is this? They're trying to make something that was like, yes, action-filled, but also fun to just action watch Tom Cruise get hurt and hurt things. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the ending was pretty weird too because they were trying to set up that whole like the new Universal Monster series. So it's like clearly meant to be a series, but you just knew it probably wasn't going to happen. So (laughs) What, bro? Yeah, yeah. And also when The Mummy 2, The Mummy Returns, I keep saying The Mummy 2, The Mummy Returns, returns. let me get it correct. When that came out, there was this website for the movie which I actually, after we watched You've Got Mail, I got really into that for a minute. Remembering those like old, remember when movies would come out, they would have these like websites and you could mm-hmm. play games on them and stuff. Well, The Mummy Returns had one where you could see what you were. You would take this test and it would tell you what you were in a past life. And I got Dung Beetle and I've never forgotten it. I have never forgotten it. <laughs> I see. I mean, you've come out on top. That's the good news. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> You're not a dung beetle. Congratulations. Proud of you. Thank you. Thank you, Samantha. Yeah. I am not a dung beetle. You're not correct. a dung beetle. <laughs> Proud of you. Thanks for being here. Uh, <laughs> but yes, let's talk about The Mummy and all the dung beetles. <laughs> so The Mummy is a 1999, oh, 22 years old. We are yeah. old. 1999 American Adventure movie and remake of the 1932 film. And it stars, yes, Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz and is written and directed by Stephen Summers. Apparently, there were all kinds of issues while they filmed it in Morocco, uh, like snakes and sandstorms and yeah, no thank you. But I think that's also how they play into the ride. But when the movie came out, it was a financial success, which is why we have three of them. Yeah. The critics were so, so on it. But the audience, obviously, like us, really love it. Did you know there's like a cartoon series too? Oh, is there? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I think it was something in 2017, some series came out. So yeah, people really, really dug it. It's funny because a lot of reviews I was reading of it, like recent reviews said, you know, the CGI isn't great, but it holds up. I think it holds up pretty. Yeah, there's clearly... Oh, this is obviously we, for the first one. The Scorpion <laughs> King is like notoriously one of the worst CGI things ever. But in this one, yeah. So the plot, I could, again, I could just quote the whole movie. I could do the sound effects. I could do it all, but I know that you don't want it, so I won't. It opens in ancient Egypt, and we learn that Anax and Amun, the pharaoh's mistress, is having an affair with its high priest, Imhotep, who, spoiler alert, is the mummy. On one of their forbidden forays, the pharaoh catches them, making out, and they both kill him. The guards are hammering down the door to get in, so Anox and Moon convinces Imhotep to leave, telling him to use his abilities to resurrect her. So he does. Uh, and before the guards can arrest her, Anox and Moon kills herself. Imhotep and his priests steal her body and take it to the lost city of the dead, Hamunatra. Imhotep begins the ritual to bring her back, but is interrupted by the Magi, who are the pharaoh's bodyguards, before he can complete the ritual. So, as punishment for this, Imhotep is sentenced to the Hondai, which is a punishment so horrific it has never been used before. Basically, he's mummified alive. His tongue is cut out, he's wrapped tightly in bandages, put in a sarcophagus, and buried alive with those flesh-eating beetles. 
A curse is placed on him too, for good measure, that if he's ever brought back, he would unleash the seven plagues of Egypt and, you know, like, destroy everything. So, to top it off, the Medjai are sworn to guard him to make sure no one brings him back. So, cut to the early 1900s, American Rico Connell, played by Brendan Fraser, leading some soldiers in the midst of battle at the sites of the ruins of Hamanaptra. He also meets his Weasley acquaintance, Benny. We all know Benny. You're going to get yours. <laughs> and as the battle goes on, Rick realizes there's something supernatural going on, warning him away, and he makes off into the desert under observation of the Magi. Then we jump to 1926, and we meet Evie, played by Rachel Weiss, who is the daughter of famous Egyptologist. She's a librarian, but she wants to follow in her parents' footsteps. However, as the movie opens, she has once again been rejected by the prestigious Bimbridge Scholars. Uh, <laughs> and she has one of the best, worst intros ever, in my opinion, while she's precariously balanced on a ladder trying to replace a book on the top shelf. The ladder falls into the shelves, and it's a domino effect knocking over all these huge shelves. The books are go askew. There's papers everywhere. Ah, oh, so good. Then we meet her screw-up brother, Jonathan, who shows her an ancient key he, quote, found, a.k.a. stole. Jonathan takes Evie to a jail to meet the person he stole it from because she recognizes immediately, like, this might be something special. And, of course, he stole it from none other than Rick Mm O'Connell, who is scheduled to be hanged. O'Connell promises to take them to Hamanoptra if they can secure his release. And this is after he grabs Evie's face and kisses her, of course. She is able to cut a deal with the warden, and O'Connell is freed in the nick of time. So off they go to (laughs) Hamanoptra. You know, so they introduce Alex in the second one. Yeah. The kid by uh, having the domino effects with the pillars. So, you know, right. they, they, they link it a little bit. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so our intrepid crew sets off for Hemanoptra, and, and Evie is taken, of course, with O'Connell's new cleaned-up look, as would Ivy. <laughs> On their way, they encounter a group of cocky Americans. Oh, those, those nasty Americans. Also, <laughs> <laughs> also making their way to Hemanoptra with the, cut, with the help of O'Connell's old frenemy, Biddy. As Evie is ruminating about the kiss between her and O'Connell, the boat they're on actually gets attacked by members of the Magi, which they don't, they're not aware of who they are. And they make Mm -hmm. a narrow escape, switching over to cables. And it's the O'Connell's turn to be impressed with Evie's new clothes and looks. Right. (laughs) So as the sun rises, Humnatra is revealed, uh, like no longer these ruins, but fully restored. And these groups race to the Americans and our heroes race to Hamanatra to see who can get there first. And Evie wins. Ta-da. Yeah. <laughs> After a few run-ins with the Americans, you know, like O'Connell stole some tools so they get to Evie. They fought over a dig site. Evie realizes that they can go underneath the Americans and dig up through there to beat them to this book that they both want this buried there, or this treasure that they both want this buried there. So while doing so, they find a sarcophagus of a still, quote, juicy mummy. Mm. The Americans, on the other hand, find the Book of the Dead after setting off a booby trap protecting it. And they also find some ancient jars holding organs, which they divide amongst themselves. Big mistake. And this is where (laughs) one of my most quoted lines of all time, Chuck over on Movie Crush once asked me, like, what's a movie thing you say a lot that you think no one gets? It's this. Yeah. Beware of the curse! Beware! (laughs) And, and every time she says it, she says it in that manner exactly. You have to. Yeah, in that exactly. And, and, and you can't see her, but she's definitely doing the fist to the air. Yes. And she yes. does that every time as well. <laughs> <laughs> Just go ahead and add that to that. 
So yeah, the Magi attack their camp, their back, to warn them away, giving them a day to leave. The warden dies, by the way, by a scarab beetle because it goes inside of his skin, drives yeah. him mad, and he runs into a wall with his head first. So, yep. you know. Mm-hmm. Evie gets really drunk and flirts with Rick, who, of course, flirts back. And yeah. also a great line, quote, you're wondering what is a place like me doing a girl like this? Of course. But then <laughs> yeah. she passes out right as she's about to kiss him. <laughs> and he does the, okay. <laughs> and the following night, Evie steals the book because she can't help it, which is the book of the dead from the Americans. And he's a professor, right? He's not an American though. Who is he? He's English? Yeah, he's, he's an Egyptologist. He's English. So there's like one non-American in the Yeah, group. he knows yeah. what he's going for. And it's for the same like intellectual properties as where they're all looking for treasure. And she mm-hmm. has the key uh, and uses it to open it. And she dumbly reads it out loud, accidentally bringing back Imhotep. Yes, good job. Yeah. Chaos ensues. Locusts descends on them. Scarab beetles swarm people and strip them of their flesh. Evie falls down a trick passage where she sees the shambling mummy ooh, yeah. who calls her a nux on a moon. Yeah. And Rick finds her. She was in the face, but as they flee, they don't see him rise back up. And then, by the way, right before, the mummy takes the eyes of one of the Americans for his itself. Yeah, and just, just uh, note... In case you haven't seen this, at this point, he's like a mummy. Like, there's skin hanging off of him, you know. He's like a corpse walking around. And yeah, this part with the American where he takes the eyes, friends of mine that have glasses or have trouble seeing, they always tell me this scene is terrifying because he breaks his glasses down in the dark tombs and he can't see. And he right. like sees this shape and thinks that somebody's going to help him. And then it's the mummy and it takes his eyes. Right. <laughs> uh. Yeah. yeah, I would say that, except last night, I, I watched it again, and I was like, but wait, his glasses are way too thin, especially <laughs> way back when, because yeah. I have horrible eyesight. And uh-huh. y'all, when I say I have to get those special duty glasses where it thins them out, it's literally hundreds of dollars to make it thinner, because if not, I would have the bottle cap oh, glasses. Wow. Yeah, There's no way his eyesight was that bad. Like <laughs> when they I love to, this. This like when they turn his time view, judgment. <laughs> yeah, when they turned to his uh, point of view, I was like, "There's no way it was that bad." Like he may have had trouble seeing for sure, but it wouldn't have been that bad. Those glasses were way too thin. Maybe his night vision's real bad. There was nothing about night vision on those glasses, and he couldn't have seen in the first place. <laughs> <Don't>, <laughs> That's <no>. true. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I That's love what this. I saw. I was like, wait, because I'm so aware. Like, I, I just recently yeah. bought some more glasses and I had to pay an extra fee to make mm-hmm. it not, you know, bottom of like, it's really sad, y'all. Anyway, but yeah, so I just, I think he's, his eyesight was not as bad. As I, said. I love this. I love when you see a movie with anybody of a certain <laughs> profession and after they leave, they're like, actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna lie. It's definitely like anything I see with the social work involved or in like school uh, law and when I'm, you know, juvenile detention stuff, I'm like, that's not how that goes. But you know, yeah. whatever. By the way, <laughs> when this is all happening, he stumbles on Benny who can speak many languages and starts praying to every god there is. And when he says, oh, you're speaking the language of my slaves, he assumes that he could, you know, serve him. And so promises Benny a fortune if he helps the mummy uh, regenerate, which of course involves killing all the Americans and retrieving the jars. And because he is Benny, he says, of course, yes. Yes, please, let's do this. Yes, yes. So now the mummy and... Has got a little uh, sidekick, Benny, a henchman. Now that's better. So Evie refuses to leave. Like they fled the scene. They're back in a city. They're back in Cairo, I believe. But they're 
Like, Evie refuses to leave until she can put a stop to the curse, despite Rick's attempts to convince her otherwise. Um, And more and more of the plagues are starting up. The water turns into blood. There's flames in the sky. Darkness descends, even though it's the middle of the day. The mummy arrives, kills one of the Americans, kisses Evie while she is asleep, again calling her an ox in the moon. Rick arrives and scares him away with a cat, as you know. Cats in the Guardians of the Underworld in Egyptian mythology. And the group meets up with a member of the Magi, Ardith Bey, and the Egyptologist at the library Evie works at, who uh, also works with the Magi. And they realize that the mummy is planning on using Evie as a sacrifice to bring back his beloved Anaxuna Moon. Evie is able to correct a mistranslation to learn the location of the Book of the Living, which should be enough to destroy the mummy. And it's a Bimbage scholar a mistranslation, so that's a powerful moment. But the mummy corners them after killing all the Americans and fully regenerating himself, so now he looks human. And Evie agrees to go with him in order to save the rest of the group. Right, so Rick and Jonathan and the Magi, Ardette Bay, sexy self, uh, <laughs> make their way to Hamanaptra, fight their way through the mummified priest, a half-resurrected Anaxana Moon, and the mummy himself, and succeed in killing him, thanks largely to Evie's wits, and escape the collapsing city, of course. Then Rick and Evie kiss after they're like, oh, you know, I didn't get anything out of that. Not to get any treasures. And Rick says, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> and they ride off happily ever after, of course, until the second one of comes around. Yeah. yeah. That's always a funny thing when a movie ends so happily after ever, but then you know there's a sequel. So you're like, well, sure. Just, you gotta give it some times. You gotta yeah. give it in sometimes. And I just wanted to put it in here because every time I watch this, I think that this, even as a kid, I remember believing like Evie's armpits were so well shaved. And I was like, did women do that back then? Or did they get that close? Like, I don't know. But every time that sticks out to me. That's <laughs> true. All right, so that's The Mummy. And now I guess <laughs> we should talk about The Mummy Returns, The Mummy 2. <laughs> but first, let's pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Okay, so yes, The Mummy 2 or The Mummy Returns as it's yes, actually let's named. Get it correct. Honestly, I love all of the Mummy movies. I know they're not great. Not all of them are winners, but yes, I love them. And uh, I just really wanted to make Annie watch this because she refuses to do so. <laughs> and honestly, I would have chosen to do the third one too, but I uh, thought it may be too much for her to handle. So I yeah. gave, gave it up. But... I mean, come on, Russell Wong, Jet Li, and Michelle Yao, they're some of my favorite actors, and I really do love who they are and the fact that they are a part of this franchise, too. <laughs> yeah, and okay, so Samantha was very adamant that we watch this, and I'm actually <laughs> not even sure why I'm so resistant to it, but so I watched it last night. I kept putting it off and putting it off, and I was like, well, I guess I better watch it. And then after it was over, I checked the outline. And yeah, we so this was happening. We're recording it the day after. <laughs> and I had a moment because Samantha hadn't added anything to the outline about The Mummy <laughs> Returns where I thought she had played a prank on me and tricked me into watching it. <laughs> and I was like, outraged. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, it was done. But I did have a moment of like, what if I just 
deleted all that part she put in about the mummy too and just moved on. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been furious. I was so like last night I was fuming, even though for all I knew you were going to, <laughs> we were going to talk about it, but even the possibility. Right. It would have been a good prank. But fortunately for everyone around, it's not a prank. And yes, we are going to talk about it very briefly though, because we are mainly going to focus on the original, but I just had to put a very quick synopsis so we can all bask in this glory of the sequel. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. So, like the first movie, we have the opening scene that begins with a legend, the legend of the Scorpion King, played by the one and only The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who I believe this is one of his first acting. Yeah, I think it was his first, actually. Yeah, and I that was one of the first things I texted Samantha last night was, wow, the acting is... He's improved a lot, I'll say. And yeah, so he, the Scorpion King, became the Scorpion King by giving his soul to the god Anubis, who takes him after giving him victory over his enemies with the help of his army. So there's this like, the Scorpion King will rise again with the army of the dead thing. And then we cut to the O'Connells, Rick and Evelyn, Evie with their son, Alex. And yeah, they're still getting into mischief by digging up things they shouldn't. Yeah archaeologists that keep digging things up. And it is really funny because it plays on the whole how many mummies and dead armies and things can we raise? And they <laughs> seem to have just accepted this, I guess. <laughs> so they discover a new treasure, the bracelet of Anubis, uh-oh, which is, yeah, a huge mistake. And as they discover it, they also learn that there is a trap that for anyone who removes it, too late do they see the inscription saying, like, <laughs> don't open this, <laughs> warning you. And we cut to, like, waters from the Nile rushing into their dig site where they almost drown. But by chance, their son, who is trying to protect the site from some shady thieves, breaks through the wall, releasing them. And yeah, that's the pillar scene that's very reminiscent of how we meet Evie in the first one. Right. And, and poor kid. Uh, I really like him, but his acting is on par with The Rock as well. Um, <laughs> Just go and put that out there. All the while, Evie is having visions as if she was present during the time of Pharaoh Seti and is able to know where everything is mysteriously as if she's been there before. Cut to, we see a crew of the bad guys digging up the mummy, Imhotep. Mm -hmm. And the crew is led by the reincarnation of Imhotep's love, Anaxana Moon, who, like Evie, is able to know where things are without being there before. And of course... They bring him back to life and try to retrieve the bracelet from the O'Connells uh, so that Imhotep can command the army of Anubis and take over the world. Unbeknownst to all the adults, Alex has actually put the bracelet on and started the journey of the bracelet that will lead them to the Scorpion King. Why does everybody want to rule the world with these armies? I don't get tell me. Um, also, just just note, Ferris Satie is the one that uh, Anaxinamun and Imhotep killed. Uh, so that's kind of the visions Evie's having. Alex is then kidnapped by the mummy and the bad the bad dudes, which lead all of them on a journey to get to the location of the Scorpion King. And we couldn't have a good mummy adventure without Magi Art of the Bay. He returns, Evie's brother Jonathan. Um, and this time we we added a dirigible. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Flown by an old friend of Rick's, Izzy, and some shrunken heads, pygmy mummies to the mix. We also discover that not only do we have the reincarnation of Anaxuna Moon, but Princess Nefertiti, which turns out to be Evie from a past life who was the daughter of Pharaoh Seti. Uh, yeah, again, Anaxi Moon and Imhotep kills him, and she she witnessed that. 
uh, right. from like a balcony away. And she is the protector of the bracelet as well. I guess we should also say Rick is apparently some like guardian. Yeah, I meant to look that up. But yeah, somebody, he is the uh, guardian of the bracelet. He's like part of the Magi, I think. Yeah, yeah. Some, yeah, some of the Brotherhood of Swords because he has that yeah. tattoo. Tattoo? The, the tattoo, as they say. Tattoo? And yeah, this is where my whole dung beetle past life test comes <laughs> from. So as they arrive to get Alex back and try to stop the Scorpion King, Evie is killed and then brought back to life <laughs> through of the course. Book of the Dead of course. by Alex. She fights a Noxina Moon while Rick is <laughs> fighting a... Really ridiculous looking CGI of the rock as a scorpion king. I'm not exaggerating when I say this consistently comes up on lists of the worst CGI of yeah. all time, especially I, from like a big budget movie. Uh, I think it was like, I remember seeing this either in the theaters, I can't remember, but the audible laughter of uh, the reaction oh, to dear. seeing him come out of the wall or the doors or the cave, and we were all like, Whoa, what? <laughs> Yeah. And then that guy, like, appears out of nowhere. The kind of top... He was ahead of the British Museum. He's sort of, like, top goon. Yeah. He sort of appears, and then the Scorpion King rips him into five pieces. And I was yeah. like, why well, is... What is... <laughs> <laughs> He's got to show strength. Yeah, they were trying to... They were trying to show what he could do with his little scorpion <laughs> limbs. Again, if no one's seen this, this is essentially the rock with the scorpion bottom. Right. He's the top half is the rock, but it's all CGI. It's all badly CGI. And and at this point in time, there's really no excuse about how bad it was, why it was so bad. I'm sure the people working on it would argue. With you, you think so? I've seen, but that's the thing is like we've seen so much better. Why? Yeah. No, they, I mean, they were working things out back then. Mm. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Okay. She made the mummy noise. Mummy mm. noise. Mm. So, as these fights are going, Evie races in. So does the Noxina Moon to see their kind of loves in this battle. Although Emotep has really thrown Rick under the bus, right. which I get, but yeah, whatever. So, Rick is able to kill the Scorpion King, and Emotep and Rick are both like hanging precariously over this chasm of dead souls, dead. like hell, essentially. Yes. Yes. And they're trying to pull them, the, the, these souls are trying to pull Rick and Emotep down, and the whole place is collapsing. Evie runs in and saves Rick while Noxina Moon abandons Emotep, and Emotep is so heartbroken, he lets go and presumably dies. Uh, who knows? Anyway, they escape. Noxina Moon gets eaten by the, the scarab beetles, but Evie and Rick and Jonathan, all the crew, escape Via dirigible. Did they ever explain how they fixed it and got the gas? <laughs> he found something. Old Izzy. Right. I shouldn't ask any questions. Izzy. <laughs> Izzy came through. Um, yeah, so they escape. And again, happily ever after until the next one comes along, I guess. Right. And there is a third one. And in this one, we're not going to talk anything, but I had to mention it because I love it so much. Just the fact that they are now wealthy people. Oh. Yeah, mm -hmm. and they're no longer digging. They are now retired, and mm. they're both very bored. And yes, Rachel Weiss is no longer there. Yeah. It is now Maria Bellows. So it's not Mummy 3, but the Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, which, oh. by the way, got a one-star rating. <laughs> <laughs> 
We only talk about the finest films on this uh, show. And also, 12% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh, that might be the lowest we've ever hit. Because <laughs> Hocus Pocus and Practical Magic were like at 20, 28%. Oh, so, okay. Okay. Oh 12% on that. But 83 of the Google users like it. So, hey. Hey, Okay. Maybe 3%, sorry. So anyway, all of that to say, they kind of jump in to a new one where Alex becomes an older archaeologist and is Mm -hmm. digging in China and Mm -hmm. finds the dragon emperor and his vast army in the fields, whatever. I'm not going to go do it, but it's fantastic because I do love, again, those Asian actors and I think they're fantastic. And to see them for just a split second is delightful. But yes, there's ridiculousness like, oh, I don't know how Rick O'Connell could possibly beat in combat <laughs> gently, but okay. Yeah. The Dragon King, who is also magical and knows a lot of martial arts. But hey, who cares, right? Who cares? But yes, that one is also a franchise. But the mummy is no longer Imhotep. They've now moved on to China. It kind of fetishizes as China a little bit, but whatever. Still, a delight to me. A delight and worth <laughs> one watch. But I'm not a second one to talk about, but just had to throw that in there. Yeah, I've, I've only seen it once. And the only part I really remember is when it zooms in on should be Rachel Weiss, And it's like, it's like I'm a whole new person or something. Yes. Her line, uh, an, Engle- uh, an American actor with a not great English accent. <laughs> yeah. Well, Say she's a whole new person, which is true. I, that was one thing I noticed when I watched The Mummy Returns, because I, I think I'd seen that like two or three times before, but it's been, I, I mean, since it came out. <laughs> It was it was like a classic action sequel in the sense that everything was way bigger. And Rick O'Connell, like I love him, but he was doing things where I was like, wow, you've really upped your game. You caught a knife like over yeah, here. You're right. doing all kinds of stunts that I, I'm very right. impressed. But <laughs> Right. And also, we're not going to talk about the fact that there was a whole franchise of the Scorpion King. But yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, <laughs> boy. Yeah, that was also a one and done for me, <laughs> that movie. <laughs> but if you're looking for a laugh, the Scorpion King. There you go. So, all right. Now that we've gone through the plots of these, we did want to talk about some themes. But first, we're going to pause for one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So I did want to put a disclaimer in here that maybe I should have put it at the top, but whatever. Neither of these movies, or I guess none of these movies, if we're going to count the third one, um, (laughs) would be a movie that pops into my head if somebody asked me, like, name a feminist movie. Like, if I was trying to list feminist movies, I might get to the, the 1999 Mummy but it would be way, 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 way down the list. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, honestly, I have some trouble thinking of feminist movies when people ask me. So I I, I don't know. But it's definitely not something that I it would come to mind for me until the, the listener uh, suggested it. The first one doesn't pass the Bechdel test. I don't think... I don't think the second one does either. Not that that's the end-all, be-all of feminist movies, but of note. Um, and there are definitely some problematic things. <laughs> In all of them. But there are some excellent feminist elements too, particularly in the character of Evie. So let's start with her and I'll be focusing on the first one. (laughs) So Evie is a really competent, smart, funny, determined, adventurous, charming, and decisive character. Most of the plans, she comes up with them on her own 
quickly and under pressure. I also really appreciate how she's just sort of, she's really quick to anger or to be happy. Like she's just, yeah, I don't know, fiery or something. I don't know. I like it. She is feminine in a dress and with her long hair, but that doesn't hold her back. She still has a lot of agency. And in a flip, her brother, Jonathan, is the mess up in their family. Although it's kind of funny because it, especially in the beginning, I feel like there's this vibe where <laughs> I guess she thinks she's the, the screw-up in the family, but compared to Jonathan, she's definitely not. Right. Evie is the one that gets to Hamnacha first. She's the one that decides to stop the mummy after she brought him back, but she accepts her fault in that. She's the one to correctly translate something from the Bimbage scholars that, that they had messed up. And this is all after they consistently rejected her. She's the one that helps Jonathan translate an Egyptian inscription that saves them. And this is while she's being attacked and strangled by a Noxuna Moon's mummified half-alive corpse. Well, you know, there's that to distracting. And I love her reaction when Jonathan accidentally drops the Book of the Living into that pool. And as the city is collapsing, she stops and is like, what have you done? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they have to drag her away because she's just so passionate about these things. Yeah, she's a scholar. Yeah. yeah, and Evie generally serves as the leader of the group. Obviously, she's the one that's like, we need to go dig here instead of here. Let's do this this way. And Rick is the muscle. You know, even in the second one, she does the same thing. She leads mm-hmm. them to where she, they need to go. And she's like, here, you know, start working. And then he uses the bigger tools because, of course, he's a man. <laughs> and he's comfortable in that position and comfortable following her lead. The only time Rick takes the lead is during physical situations or, obviously, when Evie's not there. And he he pretty much listens to her and trusts her and follows her lead without complaint. And when they do disagree or argue, they do as equals. So that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, it is funny because... She is the leader and often, especially in the second one, which again, I hadn't seen in a very long time, but he's like, are you, are, do we have to do this? And she's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like she's just so adventurous and passionate about these things. And he's kind of resigned to, okay. Okay. I guess. And I would argue that the first movie especially is is driven by her and Rick just follows her. I think she, you could make a good argument that she's the main character at the very least. They kind of share that role. Mm-hmm of main characters. Um, and even when Evie is the damsel in distress in in the first one, it is by choice to give the group the best chance of success. Uh, she's not a passive victim. She is not cowed during her imprisonment. She does use her femininity to kiss Imhotep and distract him from killing her friends. She threatens and mocks Benny, which I do love that scene. She's like, always. <laughs> He's like, oh, no. <laughs> she helps her brother translate the inscription while she's being attacked. And she's the one that reads the passage that renders the mummy as mortal and allows Rick to kill him. Right. And in the second one, they do blame her for killing Imhotep. And that's why they kidnap yeah. her because they want revenge against her. They could care less about Rick. They honestly yeah. blame her as they should. As well as the fact that when you look at the second one, it's her and Anaxana Moon who are the protectors of pretty much the realm, whether it's the bracelet or the pharaoh, they protect and they were yeah. chosen to protect and fight. So it's kind of interesting to get that. And, and yes, she actually gets to fight a little bit in this one uh, where she has some swordplay and play with size even. Yeah, who yeah. knew? Uh, of course, it was very obvious it wasn't her during those scenes, but still nice to think on. Um, and of golf, <laughs> of course, we could also talk about the constant use of white women <laughs> with dark hair for characters like Nefertiti and Cleopatra, but that's a whole other conversation. 
Because yeah. she is supposed to be a lineage of that in English as well, from what I understood from the first one, right? Her mother was Egyptian, her father was English. Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, whatever. They know, we know, all know this has to be a stretch to tie things together perfectly to bring it to one. But yes, in both movies, she also saves Rick, whether she mm-hmm. saved him from the gallows or she saves him from the pit of hell. Obviously. So she is the hero in both of these things. They also still follow her footsteps in the second one. And she even has her maternal instincts as a drive and a push for this one as well to get her son back. So yeah, you know, she's the main character. I would agree with that. Yeah, I definitely think so. And she's the leader for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. And I did want to talk about the relationship aspect between Evie and Rick. Because Rick is clearly attracted to more than just her looks, which is unfortunately kind of rare yeah. in these uh, adventure, action-adventure movies. He gives her the tools that he stole <laughs> because he knows that she's passionate about what she does and good at what she does. And he wants her to be able to lead them and find what she wants to find. And Rick doesn't pursue romance with her like most male characters from these adventure movies do. Um, He isn't showing off for her. He's just kind of this consistent, capable, respectful, kind, tender, and in the way that he follows her and respects her um, that's really allowed in male characters in this genre. Um, And also you do see like, as we mentioned when we were doing the plot synopsis, you see Evie kind of pining after him, Mm -hmm. which is rare too. Like normally it's just like, it's the guy's perspective and and she's just over the moon about him Mm -hmm. and so smitten with him and and it's very one-dimensional. But in this, she's like, it's equally, you can tell that they're both charmed equally by each other, Mm -hmm. which is nice. Uh, And yeah. Pretty pretty rare for this genre, or especially at that time. Right. And it does continue in the second one. You do see them build on that, on this trust and uh, like loving and care and being on this equal ground and having their like areas of expertise. Right. Where they, they trust that their partner to handle this part of it or this part of it. And they're very accepting of each other, I would right. say. Right. I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, in the second one, you definitely see the relationship of them compromising because they do still go on adventures. They do go on uh, dangerous site digging. <laughs> yes. As they say. But she gives in by saying, let's not go to the next one now. Let's go ahead and stay here. And of course, they also have to add that the Bembridge scholars have been begging her. Of course. To come work for them should. now. <laughs> so that did equal out. We do get to see all of that. You see the conversations they have as parents, but at the same time still being madly in love. So of course mm-hmm. they have to one-up that one as well. So it is good to see that type of a relationship. We also see Jonathan still being a rake, as they would say. I've been watching Bridgerton, y'all. It's, it's, it's seeping. That language is seeping, seeping. in. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, you see that as well. And I found that really, of course, on par, like with everything else, uh, his greed and his playboy acting, yeah. I guess. But it's also fun to see their relationship still intact mm-hmm. and him being pretty childish still mm-hmm. and them kind of taking care of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. A troublemaker for sure. Yes, yes. And I did, I did appreciate that you get to see Evie and Rick separately as being, I would say, good parents are very caring parents, like mm-hmm. protective. So you do, like, 
it's kind of understood often that you're going to see the mother and those maternal instincts, but you did. With Rick, you really saw him being protective and mm-hmm. those paternal protective instincts too. So that was nice. And yeah, you do have the comparison of... Because this whole thing starts with a Noxuna Moon and Emotep trying to be together. Although I guess now, after the second one, you could argue that a Noxuna Moon really wanted power. And <laughs> ultimately, yeah. and that moment and the end of the second one where Evie and a Noxuna Moon are watching their their husbands. Like, I don't know if a Noxuna Moon is married to Emotep. But, you know, lovers mm-hmm. in danger. And Evie decides to save Rick and Anak Cinnamon flees. I always thought that part was interesting, that there's, like, uh, which one is the true love? And, you know, you still have this sort of... Anak Cinnamon throughout is kind of painted as this power player who's got something else going on, which is pretty common among female villains. Right. Um, but the thing is, like, in the first one, she was not the villain. She was definitely no. someone you felt sorry for because we don't see, what we don't see is that the Pharaoh is kind of evil. Like, he keeps her as a slave, essentially. Like, he calls right. her a protector and we talk about that. But essentially, she has no choice because we know that her body paint is to show her uh, purity that she would only be touched by him. Right. Mm-hmm. And so she was in love with another man. So it's kind of a sad story in itself. But at the same time, yes. yeah, don't become a mummy and kill everyone else. The moral of the story. That's not cool. (laughs) The moral of the story. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think we could end on that. Thanks again to the listener who suggested this and um, the blog post, Lean in Red Dress. I know that that blog post was written after another podcast really tore into this movie for not being feminist. So we're just presenting a different (laughs) point of view. Uh, we know it's not the most feminist. <laughs> it's definitely not the most feminist, but it is enjoyable. And there are some things to take away from, for sure. Oh, yeah. And like I said at the top, Evie still holds up. Evie mm. is still a, a pretty great character. So if you haven't seen it, we highly recommend it. Samantha recommends the other two as well. Go for it. Just go ahead and enjoy it. <laughs> enjoy it. I Get your I agree. popcorn. Get your favorite drink. I agree. And in the meantime, we would love to hear from you listeners, especially if you've got suggestions for what our next movies, our movie should be. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can also find us on Instagram at stuffonnevertoldyou or on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Oh, thanks. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 